0: You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit stonegate-church.com. Okay, we're going to be in Psalm uh, chapter 42. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Psalm 42, that would be perfect. It would be helpful to have that out and open on your lap. And, um, you know, I mean, we've got kind of lighting issues going on. They're in the middle of reworking some of their AV um, equipment here. And so if the stage is dark, it has been dark this morning. It may be dark next week, don't know. But these are just the things that come along with the rented facility. So can we all just grin and bear that and just know that's a part of the picture, right? Okay, Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Uh, we have been in the set uh, set of sermons called Issues where we've been working through various issues that we have been wanting to get to for a while but just haven't been in texts that kind of walk us into that. So we decided to take a small season of our church's life and to address some of these things. So we have dealt with celebration. Last week, we dealt with gluttony. Um, A few weeks before that, we dealt with knowing God versus knowing about God. We've dealt with the issue of singleness. Um, And today, we are going to deal with the issue of preaching the gospel to yourself preaching the gospel to yourself. That's the issue that I want to just spend a few minutes thinking through with you this morning. Okay, so let me just kind of set the table for that by saying a couple of things. As we came into the room this morning, this would be a collective statement. As we came into the room this morning, if if any of us this morning have any self-awareness and are pursuing the Lord, So just self-awareness on one hand and an actual heart that is moving toward the Lord on the other. If that's you and you're in this room this morning, you are pleading with the Lord to change things in you, aren't you? I mean, when I look at my own life and heart, I'm just begging the Lord to rip some things out of me that need to be ripped out of me to put things in me that need to be put in me. I mean, we're all in the same boat of needing the Lord to change things about us. Needing, and I'm not talking like a surface level you know, level behavioral sort of an adjustment in our life where we're just swapping idols, you know, just swapping behavior. I'm talking about deep soul level change. Everyone in this room, if you're halfway self-aware and if you're pursuing the Lord, you want that, you're desperate for that. And we could just catalog the list of things and it would go forever in here of things that we're asking the Lord for. Some of us, it's deep addictions into pornography. Others, it's deep addictions to food. It could be bitterness and impatience and anger and envy. I mean, the list is so long of the the things that we would be asking in this room. But there is not one of us in this room, if there's self-awareness on one hand and a pursuit of God on the other, who is not asking the Lord for change. And if your experience is anything like mine, change is anything but easy. It's not easy. Change is really hard. It's not fast. It's really slow. And when you're thinking about change and how it works itself out in our life, let me just remind you of two quick things that we all need to be reminded of about change. Here's the first one. Change is a God-dependent endeavor. Like One of the things I've seen repeatedly at Stonegate is for people to come in and they learn a new vocabulary for change. They learn about their own heart being the problem, about the gospel being the solution. They learn more about biblical counseling and more about the X's and O's of change. They learn a new vocabulary to describe how how the Lord changes us. And then what they find is, I'm still not changing. I know the language. I can say the language. I can even teach the language, but I'm still not changing. Now, that just alerts us to something, doesn't it? It alerts us all that we all need to be more than good biblical counselors if we want change. We all need to know more than a language if we want change. Do you know what we all need if we actually want to change? God himself. We actually need the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to press into us the things that we know. And we can know all of these things up here, and until the Spirit presses them into us, we will not change. We are all dependent upon the Holy Spirit to put in us appetites for Jesus and to keep in us appetites for Jesus. So change is a God-dependent endeavor. Here's the second thing I wanna remind you of is change is a gospel-dependent endeavor. Willpower, will, you know, new and greater willpower will never be the source of lasting change in your life. What will be the source of lasting change is not new willpower, but new worship. The Bible talks about it like this. Our heart is the problem. This is the issue. This is the diagnosis of the problem. We have a heart problem. It's a heart that's trying to find life, significance, satisfaction, security, and everything but God. This is our problem. The only remedy for that problem is the good news of Jesus. The gospel of grace is the only thing that will incite new worship, create new worship in a human heart. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.18, that the only way we're going to change, here's the way that we change according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, is by looking upon the face of Jesus more and more and more. It's the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ taking root in our soul and beginning to grow that produces change in our lives. This is how we change. Now, this presses us to the question I want us to deal with this morning. If our heart is the problem, the good news of Jesus is the remedy for our problem. So if our sickness, like we all have this soul sin sickness going on, if this is our problem, a soul sickness with sin, and the good news of Jesus is the medicine that cures our our problem, cures our sickness, if that's true, the question becomes, how do we apply the good news of Jesus to our heart? How do we get the medicine of the gospel into us where it's actually affecting us? It's actually producing things in us. It's actually taking root in us. How do we apply that medicine to our soul? That's the question. Now, there is so much we could say about that, but here's the most important thing I wanna say. Here, it, just to cut it through its, to its core, I think this is the most important way that we apply the good news of the gospel to our heart. How do we apply grace to our heart? We apply the gospel of grace to our heart by preaching the gospel to ourselves. That's how it's applied. The, the way that we take the medicine of the gospel and, and internalize it and take it in and it, for it to get pressed into our soul is by preaching the gospel to ourselves. Now, if you've been around Stonegate for a while, that language is going to be somewhat familiar to you. If you have not been around for a while, that language will not be familiar to you. So what I wanna do this morning is just take some time to think that through with you. What does it mean to, to preach the gospel to yourself? And I wanna take it in three questions. The first one is, what is it? The second is why do we need it? And the third is just some general directions on how do we do it? Like how do we actually get this spiritual habit or discipline in our life to to start working itself out in us? So what is it, why do we need it, and how do we do it? So let's start with the first question. And by the way, I'm not going to have any notes today. And so I'm going to post these notes on the city this afternoon. So if you want them, you'll find them there. Um, So you you can maybe even put your pad and pencil down and just hear and allow the, the Lord to speak to you today. So first question, what is preaching the gospel to yourself? Let's just start with the definition. Here's the definition I want to throw out. Defined, what what is preaching the gospel to yourself? It's rehearsing the good news of Jesus in a way that you stay mindful of all that you have and all that you are in Jesus. Preaching the gospel to yourself is rehearsing, keeping in front of you, keeping right before your eyes the good news of Jesus in such a way that you stay mindful of all that you have and all that you are in Jesus. The fruit of that begins to, to, to grow in us of a deepened love for Jesus, a deepened hatred for sin, and a deepened faith in Jesus. This is preaching the gospel to yourself. It's, it's staying continually reminded of, continually rehearsing the good news of Jesus where we stay mindful of all that God's promised us, of all that we have and all that we are in Jesus. It's taking the good news of Jesus, his life, death and resurrection and all of its implications and staying mindful of those things, rehearsing those things so that we remember them on Monday morning or Wednesday morning or Friday morning or Saturday morning. This is preaching the good news to yourself. It's reminding ourselves that if we are in Christ, if you if there's been a decisive moment where you have pushed your chips in and you have you've have banked on, you've thrown your life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. His his perfect life lived in our place, his death on the cross where he substituted himself in our place, his resurrection from the dead, where you've banked your life on that and now you're a child of God. It's reminding yourself that you're actually a child of God. That like when God looks at you, he looks at you as a son, as a daughter, that you can now look at him as a father. That God Almighty, that the, that the person in the universe with unmatched power, the sovereign God of everything is saying, I am pledging all of my sovereignty, all of my power to for the rest of eternity to be working for your good. That we're not an orphan. That we have a family. We have a father in God that the Lord has promised to us his personal and particular love because of the work of Jesus for us, that there will never be a day that we ever wake up, even in the midst of all of our disappointments in life, there will never be a day where we wake up where the Spirit of God will be empty, where it will abandon us. That will never happen for a child of God. It's keeping ourselves reminded of God's promise to us because of Jesus of heaven, that there is a day coming that's just going to blow our mind absolutely blow our mind. It's keeping ourselves mindful of these sort of implications. I love how one pastor put it. He said, preaching the gospel to yourself is working into your heart everything that Jesus has already worked out for you. Now, I love that. I think that's a great way to think about it. Preaching the gospel to yourself is working into your heart by rehearsing the good news of Jesus and its implications, by thinking about these things, by preaching them to yourself. It's you working into your heart everything that Jesus has already worked out for you. And he's worked out a lot for us, isn't he? He has worked out a lot for us and now preaching the gospel to yourself is working all that he's worked out into your heart, into your soul where you stay mindful of these things. Now let's go to Psalm 42 and I wanna show you a picture of preaching the gospel to yourself. It's one situation in the Bible where we get to see this idea play itself out in in the life of the psalmist. Psalm 42. Now if you look at verses five and 11 in Psalm 42, you see the same phrase play out twice. Same same phrase appears in both places, Psalm forty two five, and then in verse eleven. Verse five goes like this: <clears throat> The psalmist says, "Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me?" Okay, now let's think of the context here. Psalm forty two is set in the context of suffering. Life is not going the way the psalmist wanted it to go. Life is disappointing. Life, right now, life is discouraging. It's so discouraging that he's looking at God and he's saying, God, if you abandoned me? It feels like you have totally left me. It feels like you are nowhere to be found. As a matter of fact, all of my enemies are looking at my life and it being so disappointing and they're all looking at me and here's what they're saying. Where is your God? You, you talk a lot about your God being with you and working. Well, where is he? He's in the midst of that moment. This is the context of the psalm. And all of a sudden you get to verse 42 and he begins to preach to himself. Now, let me just tease out this for just w- one moment here. Now, think about the psalmist for a second. The psalmist has rock solid theology, doesn't he? I mean, he's writing some of the Bible. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is scripture that he's writing. And listen, Despite his good theology, he still struggles. I want you to hear that one more time. Despite his rock-solid theology, the psalmist has a discouraging day. Despite his good theology, he has a moment of just being, in, I mean, down in the dumps. I mean, life is so hard for him in this moment. And, and Now listen, that's despite his good theology. Now and just put yourself in that place for a moment. If you've been following the Lord for any length of time and you have been living in a fallen world, which we all have, and you have any level of honesty about you, you can relate to that moment, can't you? Where life in a fallen world begins to push on your theology. It, gets, it begins to push on your view of God. It begins to push on these things you say you believe about God. That's the moment for the psalmist. Now, what does the psalmist do in response to that? He's downcast. He's discouraged. I mean, he is down in the depths. You could probably even say depressed in this moment. This is where he is in light of the suffering in his life. And what does he do? He starts in verse five by questioning himself. In a sense, he, he, he looks at himself and he says, so I know you're in there. So we've got a problem and the problem's you. So why are you downcast? Soul, why are you in turmoil? Why are you so fearful and worried right now? What is wrong with you, soul? See, he's questioning himself. And then you read on in verse five, then he commands himself. You see it, the next phrase? He says, why are you downcast, oh my soul? He's questioning himself. Why are you in turmoil within me? And then here comes the command, hope in God. I mean, in essence, he's looking at his soul and saying, what is wrong with you? I'll tell you what's wrong with you. There's a line, and on this side, it's no hope in God. On the other side of the line is hope in God. Soul, you are on the wrong side of the line. And today we're gonna make a decisive step where we get away from the wrong side of the line. We're gonna make a leap today and we're gonna jump into the category of hope in God. That's where we're going, soul. He commands us, soul, let's do something here. We're gonna hope in God today. And then after he commands himself, he reassures himself. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's assuring himself. He's saying, God has not abandoned me. There's going to be a day where I praise my God again. There's going to be a day where my God comes through and shows me what he's doing here. My God is all powerful and my God is my father. And I'm his child. I'm going to be okay. He's reassuring himself in this moment. This is what it looks like to preach the good news of Jesus to yourself. Now, I want to read an extended quote. So you're going to have to stay with me here. It's not going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to hang here. From Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones is probably the best preacher of the 20th century. He's that good. He was a pastor in London. And I want you to listen in his book, Spiritual Depression, what he, t- what he says in regards to Psalm 42 and this particular moment where the psalmist is taking his soul to task, where he is preaching the good news to himself. Listen to how he talks about this. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? I'm gonna read that one more time. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. Somebody's talking. Who's talking? I'll tell you who's talking, he says. Yourself is talking to you. Now, can we all just acknowledge, that's weird to just publicly say. It's weird to just publicly acknowledge that we always have an internal conversation going. It's just kind of weird, isn't it? I love how uh, Paul Tripp's gonna be doing the parenting conference this weekend that if you're a parent, you should definitely be at. If you're not a parent, you should still probably be at. I love how he says it. He says, no one in your life is more influential than you are because no one in your life talks to you as much as you talk to you. That's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? No one in your life is more influential than you are because no one in your life talks to you as much as you talk to you. I mean, that feels strange just to acknowledge, doesn't it? I mean, most of us, because we know it's strange, have learned to like, when we're talking to ourselves, let's keep our lips from moving because that gets really weird. I have one friend who, when he talks to himself, his lips are always moving and it's crazy looking, right? But we're all doing it. We're all having an internal conversation with ourselves. When you tell someone, uh, when someone says to you something and you say, hey, I'm gonna go think about that, here's what you really mean. I'm gonna go talk to myself about that for a minute. I'll get back with you. That's what you mean. This is what we're all doing. It doesn't mean you're weird. It means you're human. We're all doing this. We all have this internal conversation going all the time. You're doing it. I'm doing it. We're all doing it. And here's the thing about that. Well, and let me just tease that out one step further. Part of what that internal conversation is doing is showing us that we are all meaning makers. No one just deals objectively with facts. We have facts on the table and then we start to talk about those facts. We assess them, we analyze them, we kind of organize our thoughts about them and then we kind of develop a plan of action around those facts. But we're all interpreting. See, that, that internal conversation is your interpretive grid for how are you going to deal with life? Things are happening Moments are happening. Life in a fallen world is happening and that internal conversation is is the way that you are making sense of what's happening around you. It's your way of interpreting what's happening around you. See, it's the way that you organize your thoughts so that you can actually deal with life happening around you. That internal conversation that's going all the time in, in your life is profoundly theological. It is based upon what you think about God, how you think about the world, it's based upon those things. That, that conversation that you're always having, like right now you're having in your head, thinking about what is he saying? Right, like you're, you're doing this thing right now. You're making sense of what's happening right now. It is shaping your life. That, that, those voices in your life are that important. They, they, sh- they have a profoundly shaping influence on our life. Now here's the problem with the voices that we deal with, that internal conversation that's always running. Because the flesh is still in us, even for those who are redeemed, sons and daughters of God. That internal conversation is dominated by anti-gospel language. Dominated by anti-gospel language. I'll just say it this way. If over the last week we were just able to rip out of your soul that internal conversation and put it on a sheet of paper. So like everything you've said to yourself, wouldn't that be scary by the way? (laughs) They didn't know I wanted to kill like 14 people last week. It would be so scary to look at that. But if if we rip that internal conversation out of your heart and soul for a second and put that on paper, what we would see in every one of our conversations is an anti-gospel language that dominates it. Dominates it. So, and I'll just give you some of how those scripts probably work in many of our lives. Some of us woke up... um, this morning, Or we will wake up tomorrow morning. And our, our script is very self-defeating. So we wake up and we just think about the day and we're already stressed out. I mean, it, it, it hadn't even happened yet. And I love how C.S. Lewis talks about it. He says, um, when we wake up in the morning, it's as if a pack of wild animals rush upon us. And when, when we start seeing that pack of wild animals rush upon us, all the things that got to get done today, all the overwhelming stuff that's happen today, all of these things that are going on, for many of us, we run a very self-defeating script. We're, we're already ruined. It's already hopeless. We might as well just stay in bed. I mean, that, that self-defeating script just picks up immediately when you wake up. I mean, that self-defeating self-defe- you know, script sounds for many of us like, listen, man, there are winners in life and there are losers in life. And, and here's the thing, I'm just in the loser category. That's just what, that's just how it is. I mean, we run that very self-condemning script. For others in here, it's not self-defeating. It's like self-boasting. So our script sounds like this. There are winners in life and there are losers. Thank God I'm a winner. I mean, think that if you're as, if you're as awesome as I am, you don't really need God in life. You're just that good. I mean, some of us lean to that side of it. It's not a self-defeating, but it's a, it's a self-boasting. And here on both of those sides, both of them are anti-gospel. Both of them are anti-gospel. See, the problem with our self-talk the problem with the conversations we're always having is that it's dominated by the old man, not the new one. It's dominated by anti-gospel language, not gospel language. Now, the question is, what do we do then? If our self-talk and that conversation that profoundly shapes you and profoundly shapes me is always anti-gospel, what are we to do? Listen to how Martin Lloyd-Jones goes on to describe this. He says, now, this man's treatment, talking about the psalmist, Psalms 42, the the, the psalmist who wrote that, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self-talk or this self to talk to him, what does he do? He starts talking to himself. See, so you've got these two options in life: either you're going to be a passive recipient of that voice, or you are going to be the one that actively preaches to yourself. But but don't miss this: someone's always preaching, someone's always doing it. Either it's going to be the anti gospel you, or it's going to be the gospel you. But but one of those are always going to be rolling. So he says, "What does the psalmist do? Rather than listening to himself, he starts talking to himself." Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, the psalmist asks. His soul had been depressing him. His soul had been crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Now listen to what he says here. The main art in the matter of spiritual living. If Joe Blow on the street says, hey, the main business of spiritual living, if you really wanna know where it's at, here's what, you, take it with a grain of salt. When Martin Lloyd-Jones says it, we should all probably listen. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. To know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. You have to preach to yourself, he says. You have to question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted and in turmoil within me? Listen to what he goes on to say. You must turn on yourself. Are there moments in life where you turn on you? See, I think this is one of the most, one of the most important habits that a Christian can develop in their life. It's, it's the habit of siding against yourself and with Jesus. Do you have moments in your life where you feel a certain way and you want to do a certain thing, but rather than siding with yourself against Jesus and going on and doing that, you actually side against yourself in that moment. Where you actually say to yourself, I know you feel this and you want to do this, but I'm siding against you and I'm siding with Jesus right now. That When the Bible says deny self, that's exactly what it's talking about. It's talking about turning on yourself. So he says you must turn on yourself. You must unbraid yourself. You must exhort yourself and say to yourself, hope in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed and unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God. Of who God is and what God has done and what God himself has pledged to do. Then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, the psalmist, I shall yet again praise him for the help of his countenance. That is preaching the gospel to yourself, illustrated in Psalm 42. That is taking yourself at hand. That is reminding yourself when yourself doesn't want to be reminded of the good news of Jesus. That is keeping in front of you, rehearsing the good news of Jesus. Now the question becomes, why do we need to do that? So if that's what it looks like, you know, if, that's, if this is what it is, what, now, now why do we need that in our life? And again, there's so much we could say about the why of this, like why do we need it? But I think this is the most important thing I could say to you. The reason that we need to consistently preach the gospel to ourselves, just like we see in Psalm 42, is because just like in Psalm 42, we are so prone to forget it. So prone to forget it. Now, when we talk about being prone to forget the gospel, this is one objection that has come up over the years. Someone will say, Rodney, I learned a definition of the gospel when I was like two years old. And for the last 35, 40, 50 years of my life, if someone slides a piece of paper in front of me and asks me, write down a definition of the gospel, I can kill that definition. I'll write two paragraphs that will blow your mind. So this is how, how the objection goes. Now to that, here's what I wanna say. The key issue in your life is not, can you recite a definition of the gospel? The key issue in your life is, can you bring that definition of the gospel to bear in the matters and the moments where you need it most? We seeing the difference there? The key issue is not, can I recite a definition of the gospel? That is, a, uh, that is a, like a pay to play issue. Like we need to be able to do that. The key issue is, can we bring what we know of the gospel to bear in the moments and, and in the, those situations where we need them most in our life? That's the key issue. And here's what the Bible says over and over and over again. In those key moments, we are prone to forget it. When you wake up tomorrow, Monday morning, you are gonna be very prone when the pack of wild animals rush upon you to act as if there is no such thing as the gospel of Jesus Christ. On Tuesday morning, when your life starts to fall apart, we are all gonna have a tendency to act as if we are practical atheists, to act as if there is no such thing as God in our life. See, we're all gonna be prone to forget it in those moments where it matters most. See, because of the, the, the flesh that still remains in us, that sinful part of us, that old man that still remains in us, the default mode of our heart is to slip into the rut of anti-gospel language. The, 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 the rut that we naturally slip into because of the, the sin that still remains is us, in us is forgetting the good news of Jesus. See, we come in a moment like this, we sing the good news of Jesus, we hear the good news of Jesus preached, and then we wake up and it's Monday at three o'clock and we just can't remember it when it matters most. And that way we are all very prone to forget the good news of Jesus. Now, let me just tease out one thing on top of that. Not only is the default mode of our heart to forget the good news of Jesus and to go on living as if there is no gospel and no grace in our life, in all of our lives right now, in all of our hearts, we are all dealing with idolatry. Idolatry uh, in the Bible, an idol is something in God's creation, something God created, one of his gifts you know, to us that, that we have inflated in our life to function like a God. Could be marriage, could be children, could be a job, could be money and possessions, you name it. I mean, it can be a million different things. But an idol is something that we are looking to, one of God's gifts that we are looking to and demanding that it give us what only God can give us. We are demanding that that thing give us the sort of happiness that our heart, heart craves the sort of approval and significance that our heart craves, the sort of security in our life is gonna be okay that all of us crave. We're all looking to something right now for that. And and the problem in all of our hearts is we have a tendency to look at things other than God for that. Now hear me on this. Here's the problem with idols. Idols are not speechless in our life. Every idol that's buried in your heart right now has a language and it preaches to you. It preaches an anti-gospel to you. So let's just say you're a person who struggles with greed, with money and possessions, finding your security in money and possessions. Like your level of security and how is your life doing fluctuates by the, the, the number you have in your bank account. Like this thing is going on. Or you're the person who, um, you know, you're, you're finding your satisfaction like, man, the next purchase, if I can just get the next thing, the next house, the next vacation, the next car, the next thing, then I'll finally be okay. Either one of those two. That idolatry has a voice. That that idol is ushering to you and issuing to you promises and warnings. Here's what the promises sound like. In a very real way, when you wake up and you think about money, here's what money is saying to you. Do you wanna be okay? Do you wanna have some stability in your life? Do you want your life to to go all right? Do you want your life to be everything you hoped your life would be? Here's what you need, me, money. You need the next thing. Then your life is gonna be okay. But here's the warning, If you don't get me, guess what? Your life is gonna be ruined. Just try to survive without me. Just see how that goes for you. See, money and possessions, when it's an idol in our life, has a voice to it. It's whispering things, it's preaching things to us. And you can just go down the list of idolatry and the language that they use. But all idols have a language. See, when you think of like bitterness and resentment as it plays out in our life, it's got a language to it. That language is, let me call up and rehearse that wound that they did against me. Let me just salivate over that wound and my bitterness that I'm holding against them. Depression has a language. It's a language of hopelessness. See, every idol in our life produces a language. It is preaching to us, and hear me: the only way we will ever, over the long haul, begin to, by the spirit, by the power of the spirit of God, fight against those idols in our life, is to develop a new language that competes against it. That we develop new sermons. It's called preaching the gospel to ourselves, where we are preaching against those sermons that idols are preaching. See, this is why developing, a, a, you know, language to talk about these sort of things is so important in our hearts. Now, if you think about uh, how the New Testament plays itself out and you think about the, the epistles and letters in the New Testament, one way to think about what the New Testament is doing is the New Testament is consistently reminding the churches of what they have already taught the churches, namely the good news of Jesus. This is how you can think about all the epistles and letters that kind of flow out at the back half of the New Testament. They're reminding the church of what the church already knows. They're reminding the church of what the church is so prone to forget. Let me just give you some examples of this. 1 Corinthians 15 is a great example. Paul says this, Now I would remind you, church in Corinth, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you now stand. He's saying, hey, this is, a, this is something I've already told you. I've already taught this to you. I, we've already gone over what the good news of Jesus is, but hey, you're so prone to forget it when Monday morning hits. I'm gonna remind you of it again. I'm gonna tell it to you again. You need to be reminded of what you already know right now. So let, let, let me do that. Um, the same thing happens with Peter in, in 2 Peter chapter 1. He's taking, a, you know, the, the churches in the area, he's writing a letter, and the first thing he does is just remind them of what they already know. And he says, hey, do you know why your behavior is all crazy right now? Do you know why you're being unfruitful and ineffective in the mission of God? Do you know why all that is? Let me remind you of what I've already told you. You've just forgotten the gospel. You've forgotten what we've already gone over. So let me remind you of that again. One of my favorite illustrations of this in the New Testament is Ephesians chapter two. In in the first three chapters of Ephesians, there's only one command. Everything else in the first three chapters is what God has done for you, not what you're to do for God. So so it's all, the first three chapters are soaked with what Jesus has done for us, who we are in Jesus, what we have in Jesus. It's soaked with gospel promises. There's one command in the first three chapters. Here's the command. Ephesians 2, 11, 12, and 13. Therefore, Paul says, in light of all of these gospel promises, and I've just spent three chapters unpacking. Therefore, do this. Here's the one command. He's saying, here's what you need to do, church in Ephesus. Do you see what I'm reminding? I'm just telling you again what we already know. I'm reminding you of the good news of Jesus. And here is the main issue of your life. Here is the one thing you need to be constantly doing in your life. You need to be remembering. You need to be rehearsing. You need to be preaching the good news of Jesus to your heart. You need to be constantly keeping yourself aware of what you have and what you are in Jesus. Here's the way I would say it, just on a personal note. I, you know, I don't think preaching the gospel to yourself is the only discipline a Christian or, or habit a Christian should develop in their life, but I do think it's the most important habit for a Christian to develop in their life. There's nothing more important in your life than consistently reminding yourself, rehearsing what you have and what you are in Christ. Nothing more important than that. Now, I want to just read a couple of quotes from some other guys in church history that would just kind of give some evidence to that. One is going to be from John Owen. John Owen is probably the best Puritan theologian. I'm going to listen to how he says it. Um, he's a pastor. So he says, starts out by saying, if, I, if I've observed anything by my experience, he's a pastor. He's been working with people all of his life. And he says, if I've just observed one thing by experience, here's the thing that I've observed. It's this. A man may take the measure of his growth and decay in grace so you can judge is a man growing in grace or shrinking in grace a man may take the measure of his growth or decay in grace according to his thoughts and meditations upon the person of Christ i would not have to look at your life to know if you're growing or shrinking in jesus all we would have to look at is Let's just see how well you're rehearsing and thinking and keeping before you the good news of Jesus. If you're doing this, you're going to be growing in grace. If you're not keeping before you the good news of Jesus, you're going to be shrinking in grace. So so maybe you could just say it this way. Why do we need to why do we need to preach the good news of Jesus to ourselves? Maybe we could just ask it this way. Do you want to grow up in Jesus? If you want to grow up in Jesus, this is the key issue. It's keeping Jesus right before you that allows us to grow up in Jesus. Listen to a guy named Milton Vincent talk about this. He wrote a book called Gospel Primer. I absolutely love it. Here's what he says. He says, over the course of time, preaching the gospel to myself every day has made more of a difference in my life than any other discipline I've ever practiced. Listen to him show, he gives the why to that. I find myself sinning less But just as importantly, I find myself recovering my footing more quickly after sinning. Not just sinning less, but after you do sin, which we're all going to be doing. Finding and recovering your footing more quickly due to the immediate comfort found in the gospel. I've also found that when I am absorbed in the good news of Jesus, everything else I'm supposed to to, uh, be toward God and others seems to flow out of me more naturally and passionately. Doing right is not always easy, but it is never more easy than when, when one is breathing deeply the atmosphere of the gospel. Now, who doesn't want that? To sin less, to recover more quickly when we do sin, to come back to Jesus more quickly when we do sin, who doesn't want that? I mean, obedience to Jesus is hard for all of us, but it's never more easy than when we are preaching the good news of Jesus to ourselves, when we are, find ourselves operating in an atmosphere of grace in our life. It's never more easy than when that's happening. And wouldn't we all say we want that to happen? We all want to be growing in the gospel of grace. Last question and then we'll we'll be done. How do we preach the gospel to ourselves? I just want to give you a couple of uh, things to think on when it comes to this. How do we preach the gospel to ourselves? First thing is this. If we're ever going to preach the good news of Jesus to ourselves, we have to know the good news of Jesus. If we're going to preach it to ourselves, we have to know it. You can't preach what you don't know. So if we're going to preach it, we actually have to know it, which requires us to stare at and study the good news of Jesus. I love how 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 talks about it. John says, See or behold what kind of love the Father has given to us that we might be called children of God. John's saying, but here's the command in the, in the verse, you have to behold that. You have to study that. You have to stare at that. You have to think on these things. You have to remind yourself of these things. You have to keep those things in front of you at all times. See, if we want to be able to preach the good news to ourselves, we have to think about what is the good news? What are the implications of the good news? How does it play itself out in our life? We have to keep those things right before our eyes at all times. Now, when I talk about studying and staring at the gospel, I mean something a little different than just reading the Bible for the sake of biblical literacy. I am all for reading the Bible to know the stories of the Bible. But I'm talking about something different than that. I'm talking about reading the Bible so that you'll have the raw material that makes up the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. Jesus is the one who redeems and rescues us. I have in mind reading the Bible, every story of the Bible, every passage of the Bible in light of who Jesus is for us in light of what Jesus has secured for us? Who is God now in light of what Jesus has done for us in in this passage? Who are we now to God in light of what Jesus has has done for us in this passage right now? It's reading with that sort of a mindset to learn more of what has God done for us in the person and work of Jesus. So we have to study and stare at the gospel if we're ever gonna be able to speak the gospel to ourselves. Here's the second thing. I want you to consider what it means to proactively preach the gospel to yourself, which means we need to consider our mornings. If we're going to be proactive preachers to our own soul, we have to think about how do our mornings work. Because here's the truth for all of us. C.S. Lewis, when we wake up in the morning, when that alarm clock goes off, it is as if a pack of wild animals rush upon us. That's your life. That's, that's all of our lives. And we have to learn what does it mean for the first thing that I do. I want you to read the Bible. First, I would love it if everyone in our church read the Bible right when they woke up. But even more than reading the Bible, I'm thinking in particular about how is it that you recalibrate your soul to all that you are and all that you have in Jesus. This morning when I woke up, I hit the snooze a couple of too many times. And like when the fog began to roll away, here's the first thing that, that happened in my bed this morning. And I'm not trying to hold myself up as like, a, like, man, I'm really killing this. I'm growing in this. But here's the first thing that happened this morning. Fall grows away, and the first thing I say is, Rodney, you are a child of God. Can you believe that? You're a child of God. And today, there is nothing you're going to do that's going to make God love you more or less nothing. How good you preach the sermon isn't going to make God love you more or less. How good a church service goes, how good a church goes, how good anything goes in your life today isn't going to make God love you more or less today. And I'm not saying you have to say that. I'm just saying whatever you need to do to get your soul calibrated around what you are and what you have in Jesus needs to be the first thing that you go about doing in the mornings. Now let's talk just for a second. We'll end on this. What it means to, to, Preach the good news of Jesus to yourself in a reactive way. Proactive is you wake up in the morning, the first thing that happens, before life happens to you. But then you're going to live tomorrow and life's going to happen to you. And for some of us, tomorrow is going to be a bloody day. It's going to be a hard day. So what do you do when the bullets start to fly? I'm just going to say it like this. I've been preaching the good news of Jesus, opening up the Bible and preaching the Bible for 15 years now. And I have become more convinced as ever that my best sermons are not for someone else, they better be for my own soul. And your best sermons better not be for someone else, they better be for your own soul. So we have to develop sermons in light of where our issues are in our life, where we see ourselves continually struggle in our life, where we see ourselves continually buy into the lies and voices of idols in our life. We've gotta develop sermons to help in that. So let's just take some examples. Let's just take suffering as an example. Some of us this week, we're about to run into suffering in ways that is absolutely about to break us. I, yesterday, I just preached the funeral of a baby who was eight months, the, eight months old in the womb, didn't make it out alive. And can I just tell you, that is gut wrenching, absolutely gut wrenching and i don't know what your life's going to hold i don't know what this week is going to hold but i know we're all living in a fallen world and life in a fallen world can just be gut-wrenching sometimes it can be cancer it can be loss of health it can be loss of it can just be a million ways that we can lose in life in a fallen world and i'm just saying this in that moment where the bullets fly and where loss and suffering is happening in that moment you need a sermon Because if all you're doing is listening to yourself, you're hearing a sermon, it's just going to be a really bad one. A really, really bad one. And that's a moment, just like the psalmist, when when he's suffering, he starts to think hard thoughts of God. He starts. Here's the sermon that's going on in his head. God's abandoned me. He's left me here. What am I to do now? That's the sermon going on in him. And in that moment, we need a better sermon than that. We need a sermon that, that is preaching to our heart that God would never leave us because of what Jesus has done for us. God loves us right now and it's shown by the fact that 2,000 years ago he was willing to suffer the loss of his son to show it to us. He loved us like that. We have to preach sermons to ourselves. We have to preach 2 Corinthians four seventeen to ourselves that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. This suffering that we feel right now, it's not lost upon God. It's, It's not as if God has his hands off kind of the controls of our life, just letting life happen. It's not any of that. God is using this suffering right now in our life to prepare for us more glory and more joy later. If we leave this place today and we drive home and we get in a wreck and half of our family dies on the way home, we have to preach to ourselves and believe in that moment that that's not lost upon God. That's not meaningless suffering. That God is taking all of our suffering and he's using it for eternal glory and joy. It's preaching to ourselves like that. Let's just say that lust and pornography is your deal. That, that In the moment of lesson pornography, it is preaching a sermon that sounds like this. If you don't have me right now, you're going to die. You are going to die without me right now. So indulge. In that moment, you better learn to preach to yourself, right? In that moment, we need a better sermon than that. We need a sermon that reminds us, no, Jesus is the bread of life, not pornography, not lust, not the next thing, not this thing that I need to go get. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the only one that can satisfy my heart. Some of us in the room, and we'll just kind of end here, your conscience totally runs you into the ground. You can't listen to a sermon without running a self-condemning script. You can't open up the Bible without just feeling, I mean, just so condemned. You have that inner logger that's just working so hard to pulverize you. I mean, pulverize you. Man, and I felt this when we were preaching through the uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, a few months ago. I'm like, man, I think we might just need to rename these Ten Commandments the Ten Impossibilities. I mean, seriously, who is ever gonna measure up to these things? I feel like such a failure every time I look at myself in light of these things. And in that moment, we need to preach, not law, but we need to find where the gospel intersects with that moment. I want you to listen to how Martin Luther, and we'll just end with this, encourages a discouraged friend. His conscience is just on overdrive, pulverizing him. Just feels so self-condemned all the time. Martin Luther says it this way, and we need to learn how to preach sermons like this. When the devil throws our sins up to us and declares that we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus. I admit that I do deserve death and hell. You're right. I am a failure in light of the 10 commandments. But what of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means, for I know one who suffered for me, who made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus, the Son of God, and where he is, there I shall also be. We need to learn sermons like that, amen? Let's pray together. So I want to give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press upon you the things that would be most helpful and to wipe away the things that wouldn't be. I know that many of us right now are in this room and we are struggling. Some it's suffering. that we came in so discouraged and so downcast over just life being so disappointing right now. Some of us are struggling with sin in very real and practical ways, and the voices of idols are just grabbing our hearts. And we are in desperate need this morning of the Holy Spirit empowering and anointing great sermons, not to someone else, but to our own soul. So I think that takes us to a place this morning where for some in the room, it just needs to be clarified that preaching the good news of Jesus to yourself is worthless if you haven't received Jesus. That if you want the promises of, of the gospel, Jesus is how you, how you get there. It's how you're restored to right relationship with God. Some of us have been around the church for a long time. We've been doing a lot of really religious things. We've admired Jesus from a distance, but there just hasn't been a moment where we have pushed our, pushed our chips in on his life, his death, and his resurrection being the way that we have been made right with God. We just haven't had this moment of surrender where we have said, I'm yours. I am yours. I love how my friend Ray Ortland describes the gospel. He says, here it is in three statements. We're all idiots. We have an incredibly bright future in Jesus. And anyone can get in on this. And you can get in on that this morning. So if that's you this morning, if your heart is resonating like that with God... Take, take one of those cards underneath your seat and fill out that black side and then check that box on restoring or establishing a relationship with Jesus and we'd love to chat with you about that this week. For others in the room, this is a moment where repentance is needed. Just honest repentance before the Lord. Where sin has taken us places where it shouldn't have taken us where we just have a moment of of coming back right now. We remind ourselves of who we are in Jesus. We remind ourselves of regardless of how deep and dark the whole of sin goes in us, because of Jesus, sin will not have the last word. Jesus will. And so Father, would you help us right now see areas in our life that are in need of a turning away from these things as we turn back to you? Father, would you speak to us now? Would you press upon us and press into us the things that we need this morning so desperately from you? It's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.